It is always a blessing for us to be together. Uh, It's especially a blessing for us as we gather together around the table of the Lord to be reminded of the gift of this family of faith. We have, for the last several weeks, been opening our hearts up to the, the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, and we have reached uh, a chapter in the book of Hebrews that is probably its, its most famous chapter. Now, there are other words from Hebrews that uh, are just as famous as these, but I want us to, to think together, bef- before we open up the the word to Hebrews 11, I want us to think about where we've been throughout this study. And I think the, the quickest way for us to do that is to look at this, this slide that we had last week that I think kind of holds together the various things that the author of Hebrews is wanting to remind us. Specifically, wanting to remind that first audience that uh, was, was struggling to hold on. And so, what the, the author wants to speak, not just to their minds, but into their hearts and souls, is that when we feel afraid, right, in these days of being afraid, even though it doesn't feel like we can keep trusting, we can. And in these days of losing heart, and in these days of discouragement, of disappointment, of being filled to over, overflowing with, at times, anxiety and worry about not just what's happening in our individual lives, but what's happening in our world, right? We can keep hoping. And in these days of, of giving up and giving in, in these days of deciding that, look, there's just too many things that are broken. There's too many things that are going wrong for us to be able to fix. We can keep dreaming, not of, of how we're going to figure out how to address all of these issues, but how we believe God is still at work in our lives and in our world, and with what, whatever it is that we're struggling to trust and hope that God is bringing a dream into our lives and into our world that's beyond our ability to dream up ourselves. Now, I know that there are all kinds of different images and phrases and, and, and different encouragements that we find in Hebrews, but if you had to hold it all together, this is the good news that Hebrews is trying to get us to believe. And carrying all of that in our hearts and our minds, then we're ready to hear what the Hebrews writer says in Hebrews 11. So let's read that together now. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Now, after that, the writer starts to name people. Specific people who live their life in this kind of faith. So, talks about Abel, and then Enoch, and then Noah, And then he gets to Abraham, and that's where we're going to pick up together now. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. He's not the first guy to leave the house and not know where he's going, right? By faith, he made his home in the promised land 
like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were his heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And by faith even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, I'm sure when Abraham first heard that description of himself, he was really thankful, right? Came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They didn't receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Now, after this, the Hebrews writer keeps naming names. 18 personal names in all, and then a couple of places where he actually mentions the entire nation of Israel. All right, so all kinds of different people are held up to us as living examples of what's possible by faith. Now, one of the things that I think we struggle with is that we don't all hear the same thing when we hear the word faith. And so I want to take just a few moments to be as clear as I can be when it comes to what I mean when I say these people were living by faith. Faith isn't something we think. Faith isn't something we feel. Faith isn't even something we want. Faith is someone we trust. Now, you may feel like that's really obvious, but I guess I need to confess then that it hasn't always been really obvious to me. That when I was growing up in church and people would ask me, you know, if, if I was ready to give my life to Christ in baptism, and they would say, well, do you have faith in Jesus? What I heard them say was, do you think the right thoughts about Jesus? That you would say mentally you agree with the claim that Jesus was and is the Son of God and that Jesus died on the cross to save you from your sins and that Jesus was resurrected on the third day and that now Jesus is at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you mentally agree with those statements? If you agree with those statements, then you're at a point where you can say you have enough faith to dedicate your life in baptism and you can follow Christ. I was fixated on making sure that I knew the right ideas, that I was thinking the right ideas, that I was able to describe those intellectual commitments in a way that wasn't just clear but lined up with the teachings of the church I, I grew up in. Faith for me at the beginning was thinking certain thoughts. And, and not just that, but I, I felt like I needed to think those thoughts for the right reasons, right? I needed to have the, the right motivations. I needed to have the right feelings when I thought those things. 
And for me, again, growing up, a lot of that was located in the kinds of emotional experiences I could have on Sunday morning during worship. You know, did, did we sing a song that gave me the chills? Did we, did we read a passage that I, I felt not just was read to me, but I, I felt like God was speaking to me? When we, when we took communion, did I feel closer to God and did I feel closer to the brothers and sisters around me? Did I have that, that sense of closeness and affection? And I got to the place where if I didn't have those feelings on Sunday morning, then I didn't feel like anything had happened and then I thought something was wrong with me because I didn't believe hard enough. I, I didn't believe deep enough that God was with us in worship and that, and that we were drawing close to God, that, that somehow I needed to figure out a way to have those kinds of emotional experiences again. I needed to think the right thoughts. I needed to have the right emotional experiences. And, and then at some point in my life, it, it it started to become focused on my desires, of what I was seeking, of what I, what I wanted the most. And I felt like part of the reason that maybe I wasn't growing enough in my thoughts about God or I wasn't having the kinds of experiences with God that I wanted, that, that maybe it's, I just didn't desire it deeply enough, intensely enough. So I, I needed to, to recenter my mind and my, my emotions on wanting God more than I wanted anything else, and then God would give me that on my timetable and in the ways that I, I thought were always going to be best. I may be the only person in the room who, at different times in my life, reduced faith to ideas and feelings and desires, but my guess is I'm not the only one. And as I have continued in my journey of faith, I have come to a place where it's less and less about me at all. It's less about my thoughts and my feelings and my desires, and it's more about God and whether or not I actually trust him. Now, I realize trust involves thoughts and feelings and desires, but I'm also convinced trust is bigger, is greater, that it holds more of my life together. And, and I think that, that what we listened to when Jason was talking this morning about her relationship to Bob and his scheme to keep her at home as long as he possibly, possibly could... was that it directed our hearts this morning during our, our time at the table on a relationship. That oftentimes, I'm questioning when we gather around the table, am I thinking the right things in this moment? Am I focused? Is my mind focused on Jesus at Calvary? And am I having feelings of gratitude because of what I'm envisioning? And then am I, am I finding that my desires are being reshaped? And all of those things are possible at the table, but none of those things on their own are enough to get us to the table and keep us at the table and keep us coming back. 
Because the table isn't the place where we think certain thoughts and we have certain feelings and our desires are fulfilled. The table is where we come back to say, once again, I trust you more than anyone or anything else in my life. I trust you more than I trust myself. That's what the Hebrews writer means when this refrain begins to pick up speed throughout the entire chapter of Hebrews 11 by faith, by faith, by faith. He's saying they trusted God. They trusted God. They trusted God enough to leave. They trusted God enough to step out and take a risk. They trusted God enough. They didn't trust themselves. They didn't even trust the place they were going because they didn't know where they were going. They trusted him. And there is nobody outside of your soul who can, who can tell you exactly what it's going to take for you to trust God more than anyone or anything else. But you know the truth. Now, I realize that if you're like me, you may run from aspects of the truth that are too challenging and too unsettling, but you know the truth, don't you? You know where you are placing your foundational trust. You know if it's in someone other than God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit, and you know if it's in another place and you and I have to be honest enough about it to allow God to reach us again if we have lost our way in trusting someone or something else more. And until we recenter our lives back on a trust in God, we will not have the kinds of lives that we've been promised. Not lives that you and I can unlock on our own, but lives that can only be experienced in a relationship with God that matters to us more than anything else. It's not ideas alone. It's not feelings alone. It's not desires alone. It's God alone. And here's the thing about that kind of trust. You can see it. You can see it when you look at someone's life. Now, I want to be careful about this because I'm not giving all of us permission to start judging one another's level of trust in God. I'm talking about the ways that you have seen people of faith live lives that are caught up in that faith, that are caught up in that trust in God. You can see it because they're different. You can see it because of the decisions they're willing to make. You can see it because of the risks they're willing to take. You can see it. I'm not talking about measuring anyone else's trust. I'm asking, I'm asking you to think about the times you have witnessed it and it has stopped you in your tracks. Because see, for, for faith to be real, it has to be alive on the inside and on the outside. And on the inside... It strengthens our souls. On the outside, it moves mountains. On the inside, it gives us this assurance 
that when everything else in our life might be coming apart at the seams, God's love for us is holding firm. God's love for us is holding together, and not only holding together, but it's holding us together. That, that it's out of that sense of a relationship that we can have a confidence that's not, it's not coming from our own abilities or our own sense of what we can do. Rather, it's abandoning all that and saying, no matter what, no matter what happens, no matter how things unfold, no matter whether I do the, the right thing or I struggle to do the right thing, I know you're not giving up on me and I know you're beside me and so here I go. And the moment that you say, here I go, that's when the rest of us get to see it. It's been there. God's been there drawing you closer, strengthening who you are, your heart, your sense of who you want to be, where you're trying to go, shaping your thoughts and shaping your emotions and, and helping you in ways that you understand and in other ways that you don't understand. But then there, there always comes this moment when that faith that's primarily been on the inside, suddenly it, it breaks its way out in a way that other people get to see it. And this is why I think Hebrews 11 is so important. If you read, if you were to, during this sermon, and maybe this is something that would be worthwhile for you to do in this coming week, right? But, but maybe for the rest of this sermon, this will give you something to do other than listen to me if that's what you need, right? So, if you start to read farther into the details, right? Deeper into the details of the, the life stories of these people who are listed in Hebrews 11 as folks that you and I ought to be looking closely at, you're going to find that they're far from perfect. I mean, even though it doesn't tell us that Abel had to be super annoying, you know he did. Right? We don't know a whole lot about Abel, but we know that his interactions with his brother led Cain to the point where he felt like the only way he could deal with it was to get rid of him. And Noah, yeah, there's amazing things that, happens in, in, things that happen in Noah's life, but there are other things that Noah does that I just can't get my head wrapped around. And Abraham, I, there's these amazing things, and then there's all these stories where he keeps telling everybody his wife's his sister. And we could keep going. Every single person who's listed, right, they're held up as these exemplars of the faith. And they're not perfect. They're not even people whose faith is always visible. But they all had a moment. They had this moment where God called and they answered. Where God opened up an opportunity for them to take a risk, to, to take a step. And because of their trust in God, they found the courage to go. They, they found the courage to give. They, they found the courage to start over. They, they found the courage 
to open up their hearts again to possibilities that maybe they had closed their hearts off to. Do you know how difficult it must have been for Abraham and, and Sarah who had longed to have children their whole lives and couldn't for God to suddenly say to them, you know that hope that you've given up on because it's hurt too, too long for you to, to try to keep longing for that? You've just said enough's enough and this isn't going to happen for us. And God says, no, wait a minute, it is going to happen. Do you know the, the kind of hope it had to take for them to start building a, a nursery on a retirement home? You could see it. And I'm guessing people were talking about it. Abraham's really lost it now. And I love the fact that, you know, we have this story where Sarah overhears this conversation where God's reminding Abraham, yeah, you know, I told you that you're going to have a child and that time is getting closer and closer. She overhears the conversation and she laughs. And you might think, well, then Sarah's the person in the story that, that doesn't show her faith. But she's mentioned in Hebrews 11 because she's not judged by her laughter. She's, she's seen through the eyes of love and compassion that God has for her when she is willing to go with Abraham when everything would be telling her logically, he's lost it, let him go on his own. The moment of laughter that you and I are tempted to, to judge her entire life by, God says, that was just a moment. But when I asked her to go, she found the courage to go. Now look, I don't know, you don't know, we can't know when that moment is going to, to happen for us. By the way, here's one of the, the deepest blessings from God. You don't just have one moment where God calls you and asks you to go. Because all of us have had those moments before and we haven't found the courage to step out in trust but I'm telling you now, God isn't giving up on you and God isn't done calling. But you and I have to find the ability that in this moment, in this, in this space in our hearts and in our spirits, we can make the decision in advance that the next time God calls, we're going. Because we trust him. Because we trust that he's faithful even when we're faithless. Because we trust that he sees things in us that we can't see in ourselves. Because we trust that he knows better than we do where he's actually calling us to go. And this is important not only in my life and in your life, but it's also important and central in the life of our church. Where is it that God is calling us to go next? And I, I can promise you that wherever it is, it's going to take us trusting him more than we trust ourselves. That, it, that it's going to take us being willing to open ourselves up to the possibility that as much as we think we have things figured out, faith isn't about our ideas. And with as much as we think we just in our gut, we think we know, faith isn't found in our emotions and our feelings. And with as much as we might have both godly desires and selfish desires, God's not waiting for us to sort all of that out. God is going to break through all of that and say, but do you trust me? 
Well, you go. One of the best things about Hebrews 11 is none of these people are perfect. All of these people have flaws. God isn't going to wait until you get your life all pulled together before he's going to ask you to be a part of what he's doing to save the people in your lives who need you to be the one who opens the door for them to see that God is reaching out to them, that God longs to have a relationship with them, that God wants to save them from everything they don't even know they need saving from. Too often, I think, we, we either reduce faith to ideas or feelings or desires, or we just keep it all cooped up on the inside and act like it's all internal. And I realize that there will always be an inside aspect to our faith. But brothers and sisters, I promise you, there are people watching you. There are people who, who know what's going on in your life enough to realize that what you're doing or what you're about to do, they know that it takes a trust in God and not in yourself to do it. And they need to see you do it because they need to know that it's possible. That's what Hebrews 11 is reminding us of, is that we all need people who show us what it looks like in real life. Not just talk about it in the abstract or, or talk about it in the future, but show us in the present tense, this is what a life that's built on a trust in God more than anything else, this is what it looks like. It looks like a life that's bigger than my life. It looks like a church that understands that we're a part of God's mission. We're not getting to define God's mission. We're not getting to decide where it goes next or who is reached next. We need to figure out where God's already moving and get there by faith. Right? By faith. There's this interesting observation that the Hebrews writer makes in all of this. And that is this complicated relationship these people had, not, not so much with God, but with the watching world around them. Because there's this sense that whatever it is that they're, they're longing for, that they're relying on for God, it's not, it's not something that's ever going to be fully experienced this side of heaven. And so the struggle becomes that while we, we, we're here, we're longing for something there, and we're living into our trust that it really is possible only because of God, but it really is possible. And so we're going to keep waking up every day with that kind of expectation, with that kind of confidence, with that kind of assurance. But it is difficult to keep waiting and to keep waiting and to keep longing and to keep hoping, not knowing how long it's going to take. And the temptation then is to give up or to decide that we'll, we'll just settle for thinking the right things or having the right feelings or, or having desires that, that we can defend instead of saying, no, I want a relationship with God. I, I want an encounter with God, this side of heaven, that keeps me going. That that is not 
unusual that that's not something if you felt it before, you're the only person who's felt like, I need something to keep me going here. Right, because if we're people whose lives are built on that kind of relationship with God, we will always have a piece of us that feels like we don't quite belong. Like, like we're, we're, people aren't, they're not quite getting us, that they don't understand where we're coming from, let alone they don't know where we're going. Right, we used to sing a song. I'm not asking for you to lead it next week, by the way, Dan, I'm just... This world is not my home. I'm just a what? Uh, passing through, right? My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't, what? Feel at home in this world anymore. This world is not our home. Now, that's tricky because this world is our mission. So, so this is the push and pull that you and I have to wrestle with, right? That we may not call this world our home, but this world is where we're called. We, we don't have the option to say, okay, I see all the, the ways that this world is falling short of the dream that God, God has for it. And, and because heaven is so much greater than this world's ever going to be, then I'm just going to kind of put myself in a spiritual holding pattern. And I'm just going to count down the days until Jesus comes back to take us all home. No, because as long as we're here, this may not be the place we ever fully belong, but we have to love and care for all the other people who are gradually waking up to that same truth. Because it's not just that this current world is not our home, it's not supposed to be anybody's home. And it's not enough for me to stop and say, well, I'm glad I've come to that conclusion and I'm glad that my daughters see the world that way and I'm glad that the people in, in my life that I care about see the world that way. I have to care about all the other people on the face of the earth who are still confused enough to think that the way things are is supposed to be home. The people in our lives who we are most tempted to give up on they need someone who refuses to give up on them. The people in our lives who we are most tempted to discard because we don't understand where they're coming from. We, you and I don't have to understand where anybody's coming from in order to understand at a soul deep level where we think they're supposed to go. We may never fully understand where someone else is coming from, but we can help hold out for them the promise of what is to come. And it is not good enough if it's just for us and it's not for them too. It's got to be for everybody. We, we may not think of this world as our home, but this world is our mission, brothers and sisters. And this side of heaven, you and I don't get to check out. You and I don't get to pass judgment and decide to distance ourselves from people who don't yet have a meaningful relationship with Christ. Those are not our enemies. They're our calling. And we've got to find our way back to that calling. Because I am convinced that we've done far too much name calling instead of seeing people as our mission field. 
And as important as it is for us to be praying about and thinking about how we're going to give together the $600,000 to fund our global missions, you and I had better be figuring out how are we going to rearrange our own lives, not just our financial lives, but, but our time and our effort and our passion and our relationships because it's not just that Serge and Carla Dean and all these other people are called to go all over and be missionaries for God. You're called to be one right here, right now. And the only way that you and I are ever going to find a way to answer that call is by faith. We're going to sing together now, and as we do, I want you to think about the, the gifts in your life, the people who've shown you what it looks like to trust God more than anyone or anything else. And I want you to not only be thankful for them, I want you to ask God to help you become someone like that for someone who's watching you. I want us to be brothers and sisters and disciples in a church that lives not by our own skills and not by our own resources and not by our own strategies and plans, but I want us to live by faith. Let's stand and sing together now.